Hi, you guys want some cookies? 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 From the new garage that's new with an umlaut, my friends, it's the Throwback Podcast, your guide to all the best music for people born in exactly 1980. I was also, born in 1980. Also from the suburbs, right. in the tri-state area, and that's us. I'm Dan Hansis, and I'm joined by my bosom buddy, Bobby Castro. Hey, Bob. Born in 1980, uh, Suffern, New York. Good, Bang. good Samaritan Hospital. Bang. Tri-state area. Bang. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. I, I was born for this. Bang. 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 You know we're coming on our five-year anniversary? Yeah, we're coming on our five-year anniversary. Gross. Why did you say it well, staring deep it. into my eyes? I just repeated what you said. I wasn't staring said. deep into your eyes when I said it. Yeah, freak. That made me uncomfortable. Uh, five years of this show. Of this. Yeah. Well, that makes that makes sense. So we're doing an Everclear album tonight. What does that mean? <laughs> what the hell does that mean? I can't believe it's taken five years. You to know do, that's on you. To do one of the best albums of the 90s, period. This is one of the most important albums of your adolescence. Yes or no? Sparkle and Fade. Correct. And yet, it took five years and 100 and some odd episodes for us to hit it. And it makes me wonder, what is it that caused you to wait so long to get to this Everclear record that meant so much to you? Maybe I just had to be, I wasn't ready as a 37-year-old. I had to be 42 <laughs> in, a, in a mortgage, not rented garage, to finally, to finally discuss this I mean, this very this, important album. This season of Throwback Podcast began with the third Counting Crows album that nobody <laughs> has. Uh, if they had it, they went and returned it and put it in the used record bin. Yeah. And now we hit Sparkle and Fade. And I, uh, I'm i looking forward to it, Bob. I know Everclear is a band that means a lot to you. Art Alexakis is a... Um, I think you... If, to me, the idea of cool... Uh, was like Zoo TV Bono. Well, let's be honest. I like Pop Mart Bono. Skinny Bono with the short hair and the wraparound shades. Mm-mm. <laughs> you thought the, the quintessential cool was Art Alexakis of he Everclear. thought he was very cool. I mean, the guy was damaged beyond belief. <laughs> so messed up. Clearly just a lot of shit, a lot of skeletons in that guy's closet. But he was working. It was Halloween every day in that guy's closet. <laughs> he was working through it, through his music. And I love that. And, you know, we have a thriving, well, there's nothing thriving about our listenership, but I will say that we have a fair amount of... Steady? uh, Can you say steady? Yeah, we have a fair amount of um, overseas listeners. Yeah. And I don't know, did Everclear cross? I doubt it. I'm sure this is going to be one of those where we get a lot of like, maybe they know Santa Monica, but that's it. We had, by the way, uh, we didn't bring it up uh, last week. Or two weeks ago on our uh, episode of the uh, 2000 Countdown. And again, all the Papa Roach fans out there, you're welcome. And because that was overdue. It was overdue. And apologies to all the A Perfect Circle fans <laughs> out there who love our podcast. And Judith, who, <laughs> you know, she, uh, you put her in the chair, but she never lost that faith in the big man upstairs. <laughs> where, anyway. where were we going with this? I don't know. Oh, when we were at, uh, shame on us is what I should say. Oh, yeah. 
we mentioned uh, two weeks ago that we were at the Gang of Youths concert in downtown Los Angeles um, last month. And how cool was it, Bob, that while the show was, you know, minutes away from beginning, up tapping on our shoulders was a man who was a huge fan of our podcast. Nick. Nick, who said... Our podcast, this podcast, which is not a good podcast. One of the worst music podcasts on the internet. Irregular in its rate and frequency of posting, <laughs> uh, covering a very niche uh, subject matter and not doing it well. No. And yet, Nick said that this podcast, the throwback podcast, allowed him and a former best friend to reconnect and find what had made them friends in the first place. We are changing lives and for the better, Bob. <laughs> no, that was really, really cool. Great, great dude that came up to us, offered to buy us a drink. Uh, I was, you know, I'm not used to it, Dan. Like, you get approached all the time as a straight-up NFL celebrity. Yeah, now. I'm on a successful show. I haven't been... Uh, a, around the NFL. Right. Podcast. I yeah. haven't been uh, recognized since, like, 2006 for anything I've done. So that was, like, a big moment for me. So when he you offered, handled it well, you handled it like a real it's pro. Been, it's been a minute. So when he offered to buy us a drink, I was ready to say thank you. But you, having been through this before, were like, "Hey, we'll take uh, we'll take the picture, but no need to buy us a drink, man. Thank move. you very much." Yeah, That's really smooth. Yeah, like that was a pro move. But right then there. I went. I had to go use the lavatory, and I went to the bar, and then there's Nick again, and Nick's like, "I'm buying you the fucking drink," <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, man." Don't threaten me with a good time. Little did he know you were drinking like double Tito's and soda. So the poor guy got set back. It was like uh, $74. <laughs> and then he had to leave the venue to uh, sell his ticket. Yeah, he didn't, even, back. he didn't even see the show. Tough sitch for, yeah, but... uh, for Nick. But thank you, Nick. <laughs> thank uh, you, Nick. Uh, that was cool. All right. Everclear. I think the uh, with this show, we got to... We have to make sure we check all the boxes of the important records of our youth before this goes away. Yeah, I, I think that's why it's good that we're hitting Everclear. I don't know the album. Of course I know the big single, and we're going to get to it. I even know some of the secondary songs that are, I guess, were released as singles, um, either from the radio or from mixtapes, mm -hmm. uh, various like dude trips we went on through the years or just in the car with you. So I think some of this is going to, just as I look at the track listing, yeah. and by the way, 14 tracks, Everclear. Not enough. Would like, Do, would be nice if there were 14. three more. How about a little, how about a little editing? How about a little self-awareness of who you are? Dude, he didn't know who he was, and that was the problem, man. He was dealing with a lot of shit, Dan. And we're going to work through it together. Let's see. Let me check something. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely... Hearts Club Band, 1967, The Beatles. Inferior album to this one. 13 tracks. Yeah, inferior. Which, as yeah. I've said, famously, is at the very tip top of the limit. I like a nice tight 11 or 12. Anything else is a disgrace. Maybe if Sgt. Pepper's had a groundbreaking track about dating a black girl, then oh, it would no. have been a better album. Is that what's going to happen here? We're going to get there. We have a long way to go. But I realized when I was oh, in no. when I was in Atlanta, <laughs> when I was in Atlanta working on Lego Masters, I was talking to um, my new best friend Will Arnett, not you, and uh, oh. another guy, <laughs> and we were just talking about music. And you know, I mentioned how you know Pearl Jam was like my first favorite band in the early '90s, and then Green Day became my favorite band, and then when Alternative Rock took over, it was like Oasis, Weezer, and I heard the word coming out of my mouth, and I knew it wasn't going to go over well. Everclear. 
but I was honest in that moment because Everclear was that other big band in those mid nineties. And it's not the one that still sounds good when you say it out loud. But you weren't honest, honest enough to say Counting Crows. I could have. No, no. We talked about the Counting Crows, too. I you did. brought up Counting Crows. Yeah, yeah. We talked about well, the Counting Crows, too. Well, probably because Duritz is a Los Angeles figure. He's probably like friends with him. No, we've talked about August and Everything After before because that was like a huge album. For hey, me. Bob, I like that, too. That's my Will That's a great Will I felt like I was back in Atlanta. Yeah. Ah! But I realized as I was saying Everclear, it's like, you know, saying I liked Oasis or Weezer, no matter what has happened to Weezer, it still makes sense. But when you say Everclear, that's one of those 90s bands where it's like, really? Oh, I haven't thought of them in literally 21 years. Exactly. Like they haven't carried over at all. But for me, they were up there in that world. And I just thought they were fucking amazing in the 90s. They're like my equivalent in this century to Pete Yorn. Like right. someone's like, what are your favorite artists? And I'll mention Pete Yorn and be like, oh yeah, Strange Condition. I remember <laughs> that song, which is a song that came out now. That song could buy alcohol and three years before that buy a gun. Bob, your thoughts on gun control <laughs> way in to, America? Way to seamlessly. And All seamlessly, right. I mean so many seams. Let's get, into, that get conversation. into it. Let's go back to May 23rd, 1995. This is exciting because so- Bob... Oh, you have a whole thing. I have Give a couple me the things. Up. I have a couple of things. Yeah. A little wrap up. Where were you in May 95, Dan? May 95. I had just turned 15 years old. I was in high school. I had no girlfriend. Uh, I was on the, I guess it would have been the JV or freshman baseball team. So on May 27, 95, you were not in Culpeper, Virginia. Is that correct? I've never been to Virginia. All right. So you were not there when actor Christopher Reeve... Fell off a horse, became paralyzed from the neck down. You had nothing to do with that situation. You know, the 90s, the decade of irony. And there's Christopher Reeve, Superman himself, confined to a wheelchair, paralyzed from the neck down. You know what I learned doing this little research? On May 21st, six days earlier, Christopher Reeve starred in a movie on HBO called Above Suspicion, where he played a paralyzed cop who plots to murder his wife. Yeah. Before he was paralyzed. Six days before it came out. Yeah, that's a, that's a rough story. Yeah, I, I actually, there are certain stories or, you know, uh, celebrity or pop culture things that you follow more closely than you would think anyone would. Mm-hmm. I plugged in pretty tight on the Chris Reeve story after the accident on the, the horse jumping uh, scenario. Very sad story. Yeah, it was a sad story. Really sad story. Fucked up and sad. Right. A lot of great movies came out. Yeah, let's transition. (laughs) Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, the number one movie of the year. Great movie. Great movie. I believe that Die Hard with a Vengeance is the great forgotten 90s action film. Agreed. So good. There are many great 90s action movies. um, And everyone just kind of, I think, brushes aside the third Die Hard because how could it be good? But here's how it's good. Bruce Willis, who's going through his own shit right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was Bruce Willis right after Pulp Fiction, and everybody once again was reminded, oh, Bruce Willis is a fucking towering badass. Sam Jackson, right after Pulp Fiction, playing his basically tag team partner, trying to defeat Jeremy Irons yep. with a really bad but entertainingly bad German neo-Nazi accent. It's all, sets, it's all set in New York. Mm-hmm. It's a wild movie. My favorite part of that movie is that he is saving the world hungover. 
so hungover. All he wants is aspirin, right? Yeah, it's the most relatable yeah. <laughs> action. I mean, the whole thing about him being an action hero was like that relatable guy in this position. But waking up hungover and then having to save the world hungover right. is incredible. And he plays it so perfectly. And it's, it's funny how sequels work, especially in that genre where it's like, another example is Beverly Hills Cop. So the first Beverly Hills Cop, it's the Detroit cop, and then he, you know, goes to L.A. and he has to solve crimes. And then by like the fourth movie, he's in Shanghai or something. It's like, oh, he's still just like a detective yep. uh, with the Detroit Police Department. I don't know how Bruce Willis went from uh, Nagatami Plaza in Los Angeles, and now he's a detective in New York City. No one, it's just like, no, yeah. we don't ask questions. I'm we sure, don't need. I'm sure they answered it in like a throw throwaway line at some. And they point. didn't even have to do that. What they didn't realize is just put him in a new city. We're exactly. fine with it. Yeah, great movie. Uh, other movies that came out that month, Johnny Mnemonic, <laughs> Keanu Reeves, The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill But Came Down a Mountain, Never Heard of It, Hugh Grant, Yeah, Yep, and Braveheart, Braveheart. So, this is right around the time um, that uh, Mel Gibson was wildly anti-Semitic uh, in Malibu. No, that's no. not when. But oh, way this was right around the time that uh, Hugh Grant got busted for yes. being with a uh, prostitute and. Um, Everyone just loved his ass for it. No, I mean we held him. We held him accountable, but loved him also because he was adorable. We enough. held him accountable. We he held him to, so he accountable to, that he had the number one movie in America right after it came. out. He had out. to apologize on Jay Leno, and that was the turning point of Leno beating Letterman in the ratings. And what movie was he promoting? That must underrated have been, uh, romantic comedy of the mid nineties. Not four weddings and a funeral. Nine months. With Nine Julianne months. Moore. Yeah. Julianne Moore. Good call. Mm. Yeah, you loved her. Liked it. Loved her. Love those redheads. You do love redheads. That's why I ended up with a blonde. <laughs> uh, the same day that Everclear's Sparkle and Fade came out, Primus's Tales from the Punch Bowl also came out. Don't care. Winona's Big Brown Beaver was the didn't get hit it. single off of that. I really didn't get it. I never got it. But if you're into it, more power to you. The number one song, not here in America, but in Australia, was this. Oh my god. I feel like I've been blown apart. There are pieces here, I don't know where they go. I don't know where they go. Kiss me on my salty lips. I bet you feel a little crazy, but for me, we'll be famous on TV. That's a name for the past. This is one of those songs, Bob, that got kind of memory hold. Yeah, for sure. Was very popular. Was a staple on um, radio. I don't know if it was a Z100 song. Probably was, but it was Maybe a big PLJ. It was a PLJ song. More VH1 than MTV. More VH1 than MTV. And yet. Oh, now the piano comes in. Keyboard. We could have done this. Musically, I think yeah. we could have done this. 
Um, it's a song about oral, right? I think so. That's Kiss me on my salty lips. And then in the chorus, when I kiss your mouth, I want to taste it. Yeah. Turn you upside down, don't want to waste it. I know when we were like 15 listening to this as hornball teenagers, that's what we assumed it was about. And that made it very hot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a female friend who I remember explaining it to me. Yeah. And that was even hotter. Yeah, of course. She also has red hair, for what it was worth. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I was so innocent that I didn't even know any of that. Right. I was just like, wait, what? Still don't really Salt? fully get what? it. No, still no. still a little guessing. over your head. <laughs> totally guessing. Oh, the music dropped out. I love when songs like <laughs> You're like Junior Soprano. Could you really blame me? Soprano? And you I, don't, I don't do that. Blown apart. All the pieces there will fit to make you whole. And I know where they go. Would it be my Anyway, that song is a time machine. If you want to use a music cue, a needle drop, as they call it in your industry, Bob, in a smart way, put on mouth. Yeah. Take me to 96. <laughs> Nobody's thinking about it. But in Australia, number one. Is she Australian? Meryl Bainbridge kind of sure. sounds Australian, yeah. right? Let's see. Let's check she's probably out. still famous over there. Let's make sure she's, you know, it was a long time ago. Australian singer-songwriter. I bet yep. she was hot. Has there ever been a non-hot Australian singer-songwriter? Or non-hot Australian period. Exactly. Yep, she's attractive. She is still with us. She's 53. From Melbourne. I bet she had 14 hits in Australia. Oh, for sure. And nobody knows. Uh, It peaked at number one. Like, our Australian listeners are going to go bonkers about this. Because it peaked at number one for six consecutive weeks and became a top five hit in the United States. Is it like the number one song that Australians want to be buried to or something? (laughs) (laughs) I want to be buried to the oral sex anthem mouth. That has, that's about oral, right? It's got to be, right? It's about blowies. It's not about suicide. Let's see what Wikipedia has to say. <laughs> you need like Australian Wikipedia. Because there's no way we, there's a Wikipedia Content. page for it. The song, a playful and suggestive tune, was often referred to having something related to sexual themes. Bainbridge stated... Well, if I'm going to be talking about this song, let's keep it underneath because I just love it. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to the Wikipedia page. <laughs> <clears throat> Bainbridge, any sexuality on mouth was not deliberate. Fuck you. What? It was definitely not a sexual song. It's just honest about a relationship, how you feel in a relationship. Sometimes you feel you're in control, and the next thing you're insecure. It's the role-playing thing. To me, it's not about straight-up sexuality. It doesn't bother me that people connect with that, because obviously it's there. But it wasn't something I was aware of. She's such a funny. Oh, yeah, you're fucking lying. <laughs> All right, Meryl. Despite your dishonesty, I love your song. Yeah, I still love you, Meryl. And I hope you have an amazing house right on the ocean near your native Melbourne. But like, watch out for sharks, because that's like a thing down there, I think. Gotta be careful. Yeah, especially if sharks like to eat people who lie. <laughs> then liars. I would stay out of the ocean. Sharks hate liars. All right, Bobby, ready? Yes. Bobby's keeping me out so hard right now. 
Did you just do a drum fill? I and did. Then, like hit a different drum elsewhere in the section of your drums. I've got a big <laughs> drum kit here, and you don't so know I, how I to got play it. The drums. I got it all. No, no, I got it all on that fill. Uh, we're off to a good start here, Bob. Oh, fuck I've yeah, never we are. Heard this song. It is called "Electra uh-huh. Made Me Blind." This is about masturbation. <laughs> Not everything's about oral sex or masturbation. Bring it up. That is the voice of Art Alexakis. Close enough. How would you pronounce his last Art name? Art Alexakis. Art Alexakis, the brainchild behind Everclear. In fact, there's been many incarnations of the band at this point, but he has been the one constant. He is the primary songwriter and the soul of the band. And here's the opening track from their breakthrough album, Bob. Your thoughts on Electra Made Me Blind. Yeah, they had one album before this called World of Noise, which you can't even find streaming anywhere. It was completely independent. But this was their major label debut. And right off the bat, this is a rock, alternative rock album in the mid-90s. You just hear it immediately. Absolutely. Guitar. And for those that have vague recollections of the Everclear catalog, this is the album with the three childhood photos of Art, the Montoya guy, and then the other guy. Yeah, that was like a good move in the mid-90s. Like, Goo Goo Dolls did that with a boy named Goo. They just had like a little... little that was the boy. Little bowl-cut boy. Yeah. A lot of little boys on album covers in the 90s. That's all I'm saying. Never mind. Never mind. The guy, littlest. That guy's still suing over still his suing. Little, little pecker. I don't think... Uh, oh, I really hope that... Uh, well, I guess it was just his baby photo. I was going to say, I really hope Art doesn't get sued by any of the kids on the album cover because I don't think he could afford it right yeah, now. Yeah, he doesn't have any money. No, yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy for a band that was as big as they were. Because guess what? Uh, guess what, people? This was a big band in the 90s. They oh, were huge. Big, well, They huge were one of the biggest rock alternative rock bands in America for when that mattered. So, you know, they, they weren't... This album came out when, Bob? 96? 95. 95. So they were on the tail end. This is obviously now a year after Kurt Cobain. So, you know, they were in that tail end. And by 98, it kind of dried up. But they were from 95 to 98. Like, what are the biggest alternative bands right now? Yeah, well, and even in 2000, in with, with 2000 with Wonderful and your favorite song, AM Radio, they were still putting out big rockets right. in 2000. Well, it was... Wonderful kinda, was big. It was kind of over, though. It was kind of over because music had... Right, changed, of course. but I'm saying like their moment, their cultural moment was that afterglow, post-grunge, right. until boy bands in, in 1998, things shifted. Did you do that on purpose when you said afterglow? As in so much for the afterglow? Yes. Nice. No. All right, here we go. Here's Heroin Girl. First single. I can hear them talking 
All right, here we go. As Bob said, the first single of Sparkle and Fade. The song, according to Wikipedia, is generally agreed to be about Art Alexakis' girlfriend and brother overdosing on heroin. He heard the policeman say, just another overdose, about his brother's death, a lyric used in the song. Yeah, this song, I remember fucking me up because obviously I was a big uh, big heroin Junkie. user. In the- <laughs> it's like, Bob, you got to get off that smack, bro. Heroin was so omnipresent in the 90s music world of alternative rock. Right. And it was always alluded to, but this was a song called Heroin Girl, where it was like, here's an overt song about heroin and its effects and everything. And for me, just hearing this, and I love like how hard and punky it is. I loved this song the first time I heard it. I remember listening to it. I like this version of Everclear. I like a little bit of, I think if if you want to get on them a little bit, as they got more established, they seemed to get more and more kind of soft and melodic, which I usually like. But in their case, it felt like they were very pandering to the radio at a certain point. Yeah, I would agree with that. And there was a very much, to me, I know we've argued about this for 25 years, a sameness to their music. But that was especially, I think, the case with their singles, where they were just like, this works, this formula, so I'm going to try to remix it a little bit and, and get a couple more hits. But that is, you know, much more raw and immediate. I'm kind of into that version of Everclear. Yeah, if you listen to their first, you know, their first album before this, it was way harder and way more like that. So that's clearly like the song that they were kind of trying to make with their first album. That now was the lead single of their second. But eventually, they do find that sort of more mainstream sound that then became a little more simple. And, you know, there was that that you would point out every single time. Every time they put out a new single, you'd be like, there's that Everclear sound. And I'd be like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) And you were right. But, you know, it was annoying to hear that pointed out. Especially it was like, I'm in your car in the back seat. So it's just like, I'm going to give you a ride to this motherfucking (laughs) driving range. How do you still not have your license? How do you still not have your license? So, Um, So this was this album is before that. Right. Also, Art Alexakis, people should know, is in the sneaky old Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like, he was 47 when this album came out. <laughs> he was not 47, <laughs> but he was, he was like definitely. He's like pushing 40. No, not yeah. when. That would make him like <laughs> dead, for one. Like, there's no way he's living to 70. Well, I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful. Is he with us, though? He's still with us, technically. All right. Art Alexakis. Oh, this is going to hurt you, Bob. He turned 60 uh, last month. That does hurt me. <laughs> he's basically, do you know he's basically Bono's age? Think about that. He's like a cool Bono. <laughs> Think about that. Bono's first album was in 1980. Like yeah. They were basically contemporaries. But he was, you know, he's sneaky old. Yeah. Let's keep moving. I know this next <laughs> song. This is my favorite. You know this song probably because I put it on like every mix and that I could. This is a good song. This is You Make Me Feel Like a hua. Yeah. See, I like this version of everything. This is my everything. Good. If I were to have one. Yeah, I like it when you talk to 
I don't know, but you make me feel like a whore, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. Is that wait? Is that a compliment? I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I love this song. This is one of my favorite album tracks of any album in the '90s, and I guess it was released as a single, but nobody would ever think of this as a single. Was think, it after the big one? No. Yeah, I think they. Oh, threw, it was. I think they threw this out there at the it's end. It's not of, an official single. At there was the end only of the three. Cycle. Okay. It wasn't one of them, but it could have been released the radio. I think there was a video, but I don't remember it being yeah, getting any traction. Because, yeah. I mean, horror in the mid-90s was still pretty a hard sell. Because yeah. this sounds like a radio-friendly song, but I would imagine the word horror alone made it impossible. Well, in modern rock radio, that wouldn't scare anybody off. You don't think so? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You know that Art Alexakis in 2014 had a role as a tattoo artist in the movie Wild? Remember Reese Witherspoon oh, made yeah. a wild, like, I want that Oscar? Yeah. Here, she already had one, but I want another one for playing the woman that's wandering the world. Right. myself. That's right. White girl wanders world in search of self. <laughs> we need more white girls wandering <laughs> movies. Uh, and he was in the film, and I don't, I remember watching the movie. But uh, I don't remember noticing it. Was he nominated? Did he get a nomination out of it? Yeah, I don't think it worked out for did, him. Did he get paid for it? Because he could use... I, I I just always assume he could use a little bit of money. I don't... Well, we've told the story before. You were the... Who told you the story about the airport? Tell the airport story again. We got a message on... I think it was an email from a throwback listener who told the story of being at an airport oh. and <laughs> spotting Art Alexakis with his new Everclear bandmates. Not the ones who are this on the This is about album. 10 years ago or so? Yeah, something yeah. like that. So they're just they're trying to earn a living on the road at this point. Right. That's where they're at. Yeah. And he and he saw them, you know, as they were uh, standing there and Art pulls out, you know, a little wad of bills and the uh Everclear band members, you know, proceed to stick their hands out oh, and Art you know, hands them each, you know, a fresh $20 bill to go, you know, get themselves a little something to eat at the airport. There had to be a better system. <laughs> there had to be like I know it's Everclear in 2000 and 12 or whatever but there had to be some type of expense report system or no. like hey just venmo me like send me some venmo he's receipts a, or... he's a 60 year old man you think he's on venmo <laughs> come on that's asking a lot but like they're waiting for dad to hand them a 20 <laughs> so they can get a burger and like a coke yeah it's pretty rough that's pretty rough but the reason bob that they were even in position to be touring and making a living in 2012 really went back to this It's called the fucking transition, bitch. I am still living with your ghost. Lonely and dreaming of the West Coast. I don't want to be your downtown. I don't want to be your stupid game. With my big black boots and an old suitcase. I'll find myself a new place I don't want 
watch the world die. Uh, this is, without a doubt, Bob, I would say one of my very favorite songs of the 1990s. To me, this is the sound of alternative rock in 1996, 95 era. Yep, completely agree. And this was my favorite song of that era as well. It went from Mr. Jones to this. Like, I was just, I mean, every time this was on the video, I would watch it. Every time it was on the radio, I would listen to it. It was one of those songs I purposely never turned off when it came on the radio. I never, yeah, I never turned this on. Yeah. I just think it, it just so immediately hits you and is a, a great, great single, great hooks all over it. Let's get back to it. just gonna say i don't i don't want to like make any enemies on this podcast but matt money smith is lucky that i was only 15 when this album came out because i remember listening to the song at a tower records listening station i was i saw the everclear album at the listening saw the everclear album at the listening station knew everclear from seeing heroin girl on like 120 minutes or alternative nation listen to the album heard Santa Monica and then proceeded to call X one Oh seven, our local radio station. Oh yeah. And today's re- rock and request Santa Monica. That's pretty good. And the guy on the other end of the phone call was like, that's not a single. We can't play that. And I was like, you should play it. It's really good. That's pretty good, Bob. And then they started playing it. So I feel like with that instinct, I could have put Matt money Smith out of a job. I mean, forget about money. I'm thinking I'm going right back to Frazier again. Like if Kelsey Grammer knew, that that version of Bob had that level of instincts about mm. what music people should be hearing. Yeah. Maybe he wouldn't have like humiliated you on NBC. Maybe I could have helped him find an appropriate vehicle to launch his movie career instead of down Periscope or whatever dumb shit he was doing. He certainly couldn't make the jump to the big screen. No, maybe he could have used me. That way. You know, Santa Monica, which, by the way, is one of my favorite areas of Los Angeles, uh, is where... He grew up in part. He grew up in Mar Vista, which is actually uh, east, but mm-hmm. in that realm as well. And we've heard different stories about this song. Um, if you are a fan of alternative rock, here's a quote that he gave in 2003. He was interviewed by some type of, I don't know, maybe a song facts, it's called. I don't know. I grew up in a seaside town called Santa Monica, which is like L.A., but on the coast. That's accurate. Okay. He nailed it. There you go. I've lived in cold places, and I've been in bad relationships, and I think everybody has a place in their mind that is like a safe haven. It's also about getting away from bad times. The ending of something is also the beginning of something new, whether it's with someone or getting out of a bad job, a bad way of life, or an abusive relationship. Now, Bob, so that's that's one way to tell the story. The other way that we had heard uh, in the 90s was that it was connected to a suicide attempt that he made. Right, that he was like swimming out to kill himself. If you want to get really depressed, besides, you know, reading the news today, if you really want to get depressed, 
uh, check out Art Alex Zach's like adolescence and like oh, the yeah. backstory of his life. I don't even want to get into it because this is a feel good podcast. But here's a broad strokes um, on one aspect of his life. When Alex Zakis was a teenager, his girlfriend committed suicide. Shortly thereafter, Alex Zakis attempted the same by jumping off the Santa Monica Pier. That's We've been there a million times, Bob. Yeah, there's a bub, there's it. a Bubba Gump's shrimp there. Yes, and that is the place where he chose to commit to try to kill himself. Anyway, one theory as to the meaning of the song is that he was drawing on this experience, but that's just conjecture. Now, Bob, put it on the board. I bet you didn't know. What you put it on the sport? You put it on the goddamn board here. We're breaking out the board. We're talking Tuesday. We're breaking out the board from a 1995 Everclear album. No. But we're talking Tuesday. Okay, let's talk Tuesday. Following the terrorist attacks on Tuesday, the song was placed on the list of post-9-11 inappropriate titles distributed by Clear Channel Communications. Watch the world die. That's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, but we were, you know, we didn't know what to do at the time, Dan. We were reeling. I mean, we were. It was a tough Tuesday. Not even Santa Monica on the other side of the country was safe. bit of a american uh, exceptionalism there run a buck <laughs> the whole world was dying yeah yeah it was there. this song's incredible here Just we go for the record summerland that bubble gums what's that you ever eat that bubble i never gum? did no it's good <laughs> good fried shrimp get a nice cold uh, draft beer i just that. remember our friend brian drove out there once like on his own when we first moved to la we lived in hollywood which we lived we lived in hollywood but like we only had one car that we would all share right. so we would just like take turns kind of getting away from each other sometimes right. and one night brian took the car and ended up in Santa Monica and ate dinner alone at Bubba Gump's shrimp. And, and that we, just, that became like the signifier within our house of like sadness and loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> just a table for one at Bubba Gump's at the Santa Monica Pier. And he was, Brian was the one that was like on top of it more than anyone. Oh yeah, this is my rock bottom. Yeah. I'm alone no, he, at the Bubba Gump's on knew. a Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> Not that Tuesday. Not that Tuesday, different Tuesday. We had like, I'm sorry, I know you love the song, Bob, but we had like a running joke after that happened where Brian would be like, oh yeah, we, I went to the Bubba Gump and then I got back in the car and then I just headed, I kept heading west on the pier. <laughs> a little Art Alexakis. Fill up on some shrimp and then just go off the pier. All right, Bob, this is a song that you connect with, Summerland, and also the name of their tour. The Summerland yeah. Tour Festival, Festival their Tour. Turn Back the Clock Oldies Tour that they now do. Yeah. Because we're very old. Summerland, also in the name of a town just south of Santa Barbara. Ooh, I like this. This is the genesis of... It is, the very beginning. Here, listen to this part. This is the Everclear you're going to like. This part right here is right in your wheelhouse. All right, calm down, Bob. You're going to fucking like it. <laughs> Forget about all the losers that 
That's very uh, Adam Duritz. That's very recovering the satellites, Duritz, lyrically. Is there a connection here? Never really made that connection, but as two bands that I really responded to in the 90s, is there a emo alt-rock connection to these lyrics and who these people are? That's a little bit like um, Have You Seen Me Lately? And now we're incredible, incredibly neat right now. Uh, that's what that realm is for me. Yeah. Good song, Bob. I like it. I mean, this song is just about that like place on the map that you look at, like near Santa Barbara, where you're like, we're just going to get gonna away. I'm going to jump right in here and try to kill myself. That... No, no, not, not, oh, no, oh. This is not kill yourself. I thought all these songs were. No, no, this is like me and you are going to get out of this like loser cycle that we're in, and we're just going to get. The old Springsteen trope. We're going to go somewhere beautiful. Hop on back. Let's. We're in the, we're going to get out of this town full of losers, and we're pulling out of here to win. One of those things. One of those things. I do. Have, I do have pictures of me in front of the Summerland sign that I'm, I'll be sure to tweet out. You've been to Summerland. Yeah, I actually stayed I in Summerland that. for a couple couple of nights many years oh, ago. I'm, t- I'm talking about the uh, turn back the clock. No, no, no. Store. I never did the festival. I've been to the town of Summerland. Uh, All right. Up next is a song called Strawberry. We're halfway through. Sparkle and fade. Just about, you know, when we started this album, I was like kind of wondering what my uh, what my angle was going to be, how we were going to kind of approach it. But I'm realizing as we're listening to it, I unapologetically still love every single song on this album. And uh, I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks. This is fucking great. Good for you, Bob. I'm happy for you. Thank Enjoy you. it, Bob. Thank you. You're in that nostalgia joy pocket right now. I really am. Yeah. Just, I'm living it. Buddy. I need another beer. Stay there. If you're going to get one, get me one. I'll take a silver bullet. He's getting the beer. I think this is pretty good. I won't tell him. I'll just keep it all to myself. He'll never know. Don't fall down now. You will never get up. Don't fall down now. I think you still have the Coors lights. Little silver bullet. Yeah. Somebody brought it to the new garage. Hammer some domestic logger every once in a while. I woke up at a sweet with my All right. Strub, I like it. Nice little palate cleanser after the uh, Summerland yelling. Yes, I guess I fucked up again. Don't fall down now. You will never get See, that's the thing that's really standing out to me with this album. It's before they got rich and famous, or he got rich and famous. And right. Hit the music, he definitely seemed to lose an edge once they... Because you know why? Because the record industry and the record companies like I want more hits, and it's hard to kind of stay true to yourself. Some bands do it. Well, I think what happened is you know he's a kind of like Duritz, like you mentioned, like a songwriter that digs into his personal life and like who he is and how he feels and tells personal stories. And Santa Monica was a big hit, and then on the next album, Father of Mine was a big hit. Right. And I will buy you a new life. Very like emotional type songs, and that's a hard. He well, was very in his feelings, and that's a hard yeah. thing to keep digging into successfully as time goes on. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's... I mean, he had a deeper well than most to draw from. Right. Again, this is a feel-good show. Please uh, just pay attention to the lyrics of the song, Dan. Ooh, that sounds foreboding. Oh, no, bud. <laughs> this is the song about the aforementioned black yeah. woman that he dated? Yeah. This doesn't feel like it's going to have the same resonance as I don't think it, sugar. I don't think it holds up. What? You're possessed with a power that's bigger than the pain? Yeah. The fuck is he talking about? Uh, the looks and the bad vibes they were getting as an interracial relationship in 1995. Ah, thank you. What? Why is it called Heart Spark? I've never known. I've what never understood that, that. It's almost like uh, one of those things where it spells something different backwards. Okay, so we need to give, uh, let's give this, uh, as I'm about to tell you the story, let's make sure we have a clear cut point because we might need to cut this entire thing out. Ooh. I'll let you decide at the end of the story. Whoa. But okay. this is in, this is a. Host- put my career in danger. No, no, my career. Okay. Let's keep it in. Okay. Um, if that song sounds familiar to you, it's not because it was a single. It's because in 2001, when I Tuesday? was. Nope. But that does tie in. Hold on. When I was at Towson University and I had a sketch comedy show called Pregame, mm-hmm. I made a uh, one of our sketches. Uh oh. Was called Heart Spark Dollar Sign. All right. And it was a music video mm-hmm. where I, I can't tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, just tell it at this point. Fuck. <laughs> God. <laughs> I really don't know if I can. Well, it doesn't have to be in the episode, but you could tell me anyway, <laughs> and then we could decide. Might uh, as well tell it. I made, we made a video. Radio edit. All right. Hold on. <laughs> that video proceeded to win best short at the Towson University oh. Film Festival over a 9-11 tribute video. Oh. Now, a lot of people don't know if Maryland is north or south, like Mason-Dixon line. I think they firmly... Firmly, firmly, firmly All right. secured their place. We're back. Uh, we had to take it all out of the episode, but Bob <laughs> told me a great story. Let's move. Is that out? To... Wait, did we take it out? I think it's out. Yeah. There's twist inside. It's not my fault. It's Towson University's fault. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, it's society. <laughs> and you're part of it. You're part of the problem. But now we're focused on being the solution. And now it only only now occurs to me, now we've taken that part out of the show. Now people are really wondering what you did. Now it makes me feel... No, now it sounds even worse. That's than, what I mean. Yeah, so maybe that's even worse. But it's not. It's not. But we're erring on the side of caution. 
What if I specifically take out the part where I describe what the video was? Yeah. On? Right. Maybe. Well. <laughs> We're in a real pickle. Yeah. Well, we is one way to put it. <laughs> I was the winner. I think you're okay. Well. All right. Here we go. The twist inside. Oh, this, this has got mf -er all over it. Gotta get ready for the real world. Yeah, yeah. Gotta grow up. This is the longest Disagree. song Disagree. Disagree. This, this line right here. We get it, you're a heroin addict. Just gonna sprawl in the front Big drink above my head. Outside and smiling as I walk the, the world. world. Go twisting by. <laughs> All right. I like it. I, I get it. I have many of these albums myself, Bob. Every song matters. It's just all good. I mean, I haven't heard a song, honestly, even objectively, that I'd be like, oh, that's rubbing me the wrong way. Uh, no, I would think that was the first song, which is pretty good. And um, it, keeps, it, it keeps getting better. For at track nine. That's a lot of seconds for an Everclear song. But <laughs> um, that I was been like, ah, I could take or leave that one. Here's her brand new skin. Should be known, a lot of these songs are very um, brief. This yeah. Is, this is two minutes and two seconds. The next song is 154. The song after that is three on the nose. All right, you ready to hear from an esteemed voice in rock criticism? The most respected voice in rock music of the past 500 years, Stephen Thomas Erlewine. Wait, before you say whatever you're about to say, this is a big moment for me and Stephen. Because obviously we have our beef stemming mostly from Fashion Nugget. Of course. Of course. But if... We're on the same side here. This might be a big step forward for us. But right. if it's not, fuck. I have good news and I have bad news. Okay. What do you want to hear first? I don't know. I don't know what I, I don't want to hear any of this fucking asshole, mostly, but I'll give you the bad news first. I've been reading Stephen Thomas Aeroline allmusic.com reviews for literally almost twenty years. Yeah. This is the shortest review I've ever encountered okay. in that time. Okay. So, so that's the bad news. As we go into Nihalem up next. Um, the good news. It's a four-star review. Okay. Okay. And because it's so brief, something that feels almost dashed off before he headed to lunch. Back in 1995, <laughs> SDE's like, man, that chicken parm sandwich is calling my name. One of the three chicken parm sandwiches he's having for lunch that day. Now you're saying he's fat. <laughs> I don't, don't know. know what he looks I don't like. know, but he's probably. Neither do I. <laughs> uh, he's like, man, that chicken parm and root beer float <laughs> is calling my name. And then meatball parm. But I promised 
Carl, the editor at the time of All Music, I'd knock out that Everclear review. Yep. Here's what he wrote. Everclear's major label debut is a tough, melodic set of gnarled, post-punk, hard rock. Interesting. An easy comparison is Nirvana. But Everclear's music is closer to the country rock leanings of Screaming Trees. Oh, wow. Underneath their loud, grungy guitars, there is a distinct rootsiness, County Crows, lacking in most Seattle bands, and that gives Sparkle and Fade its edge. That's it. That's it. And he singled out three tracks as all music picks, Heroin Girl, Santa Monica, and Heart Spark Dollar Sign. There you go. Here's Nala Hem. I think I could be wrong. Our good friend Greg, longtime Patreoni as well, I think that might be his favorite song off this album. For real? I think so. Yeah, okay. That seems like a bit of a I could stretch, be wrong. but it could be wrong. Again, I feel like we've a, talked about he's it. He's a Everclear super fan, so you guys are going to go a little deeper on the catalog for your favorite songs. Yeah, we it. we saw Everclear together, 1997 Roseland Ballroom, and uh, just the two of you. I think it was with uh, Richard Kowalski. I think he drove us into the city. Nice, good, good Kowalski in the mix. Yeah, and I just remember leaving soaking wet from all of the hardcore moshing that was going on. Mm, that is rock. You know, Rich Kowalski, it does remind me of the story. Um, we used to occasionally get lunch with him because he had his own car. And uh, he was a big, you know, we talked about it on the show two weeks ago. He was a big Metallica fan. Right. Or Metallica. Metallica. during the load, reload era. Right. And uh, one of the songs on uh, one of those two albums was You Ain't My Bitch. Yeah. You ain't my bitch. Yeah. Yeah. And I kept on saying it in the backseat of his car on the way back from lunch one day. And he got so pissed that he pulled the car over and he said, if you're going to do that one more time, you have to get out of my car. Wow. And I said, all right, man. All right, listen. You were you were a difficult passenger. From, from here forward, from here to forward, I will lay off Metallica. In fact, I will now become their biggest fan. <laughs> and I have been. And you have been ever point, since, yeah. In 1997. Turning point in your life. No, I was a total glue guy in the car. Come on. Now, you were you were an antagonist in the car. I mean, <laughs> our shotgun system alone would drive most people to madness. Just the... It wasn't a place for the meek of heart. No, if you wanted to ride shotgun, because I was the first one with my license out of our entire group, and eventually everybody caught up. You were you were pulling up the rear. You were the caboose there. But I don't think I was the last because I passed on my first attempt. Right, but you didn't take your first attempt until like 2007. <laughs> it was a long time. <laughs> I also didn't have a car. I didn't. I don't know. Right. There was no rush because it was like, all right, I'm gonna get my license and drive whose car. But do we want to get into the shotgun thing right now? Because it's kind of embarrassing how fucking stupid we were about shotgun. Uh, well, we've already set it up, so go ahead. It was pretty bad. So if you wanted to ride shotgun, when you stepped outside, the driver, the rule was the driver had to have both feet outside. Not anybody else. It had to be the driver. 
Like, so let's say like I was driving and everybody else, everybody else would run out of the By doors. By the way, you say this is embarrassing, but this is incredibly relatable to a lot of I know. people because this was, well, we'll just was wait, a big deal. Wait until we get into the nuances of what our system was. Right. So everybody would like run out or they would just be watching my feet as I stepped out. And when that second foot... And you loved it. What a feeling of power. That <laughs> it was total been. power. <laughs> when that second foot hit the pavement, everybody yelled shotgun, obviously. That's, not always. Well, not always. Yes. Involved. So there was strategy involved. If you really want to go for shotgun, you yelled shotgun. There were five of us total. It's important to know. The other but thing... only four in the sweepstakes. Right, of course. But there were five right. people filling up the car. So the four people would yell shotgun. Stakes were high. Or if you didn't want to go for the gold... You yelled, no bitch. Right. Which meant not sitting in the back middle. Everybody Pro- knows the middle seat in the back was known as bitch. Problematic. You were the bitch of the car. Problematic? I don't think so, but you never know <laughs> I anymore. I never know anymore. So you'd have to yell, no bitch. So here's the thing. Let's say you went for shotgun. You missed. Yeah. Other people yelled, no bitch. Guess what? You're riding bitch. Right. Yeah. Or if you and another guy, and this is typically how it would play out, would... Both go for shotgun. Um, the guy that missed it. If there was three people that went for shotgun, that's typically what it'd be. Right. And then our friend Brian usually just went for no bitch, <laughs> which was a smart play, but also it's very telling what all our personalities were. Right. Um, then it would be two guys would be scrambling to get that uh, no bitch. So you would go shotgun, uh, no bitch. Right. And it just it was very intense. Very intense. Sometimes it wasn't always clear who won, and that's when things got weird. So then because we wanted to be a democracy, we didn't want, you know, let's say one person was really just killing the shotgun game. We didn't want that person to have the advantage and be in front right. all day, all night. I actually whatever. thought this was a brilliant wrinkle to it. So if you rode shotgun the next time you guys left. Right. Let's time, say you went to the diner. Right. You were getting, you were leaving high, the high school or leaving the driving range you just you had went like, to the diner you went to the diner you just had like a Stephen Thomas Erlewine level three chicken parm heroes <laughs> two orders of the curly fries a, he's got a, a weight problem he's got an appetite we'll we don't look know him up, by the way. we have no idea um, actually I don't want to look him up nope. I'm just imagining him as a heavy set music critic for the ages at the Park Ridge Diner um, as you would step outside the second time the person who rode shotgun would have to say Unprecedented double gun. Unprecedented double gun. They would have to get that out before anybody else said shotgun. No, so, not even just shotgun. Gun. Gun, right. So you would have to get that out first. If you said it made sense because to get, get the front seat two rides in a row, you have to say more of a mouthful or just be sharper. But if somebody just says gun, before unprecedented double gun, gun, you're already out. Yeah, you're out. Done. And then you're probably in bitch. Most likely, yeah. Because your mouth is full of those unnecessary words. But everybody else is. that wasn't the ultimate um, success story. We're not done yet. No. No. Should we talk about Pale Green Stars? You tell me. Great song. Love this song. It's a good album. I'm, yeah. I'm with you on it. I mean, I love every song, so I can't right, just be like, I love this song. Let's listen to a little bit, and then we'll close out the rules of engagement with riding in a car in the 90s. <laughs> All right. So the, the, thematically, things were he was locked in now. Daddy's going away. Just right. But this is about a little guitars. little girl in her room. Pale green stars on the ceiling. Remember those little pale green stars you would have, and then they would light up when the lights went down. Right. Anyway. But also, Daddy gave me 
Right, of course. Daddy gave me a name. Name and walked away. Big time daddy issues. Good for creativity, though. So if you wanted shotgun three times now in a row. Now we're in a ho- hollowed ground. Right. Let's say you've you got gun. You got double gun. Now you're right. aiming. To do the unthinkable. To do the unthinkable. You're going to potentially just ride the night out in shotgun. Big deal. Big deal. It's happened maybe once in the history of mankind. To get that coveted third time in the front seat, you had to say... Unprecedented triple gun Zonge burger with cheese. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so idiots. I'll repeat that for the audience. <laughs> Let me cut the music here. Unprecedented... Triple gun, uh-huh. Zunge burger with cheese. What is a Zunge burger, Dan? I know that that is a term that I had come up with at some point in my life, but I have no idea what it means. I don't know. I, you definitely came up with it. The Zunge thing was a you thing. Zunge it was, was a made up word. It was a made up word, right? But that is what you had to say. Yes. And again, you have to say that before anybody else's gun. Right. And if somebody, let's say all three other people were sleeping and you got that out, fucking big deal. the biggest victory you could ever get. a big deal. Yeah. Now, how that makes me an antagonist, that I was a part of the game, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it was just more your overall vibe. But yeah, that was just fucking ridiculous. But that was our life as teenagers in the 90s. It was. And you were just lording over it all. No, I participated too. Your big old Buick LeSabre. My big LeSabre. The most comfortable car it was. At le- it was roomy and that, that helped. Because even if you were a bitch, it wasn't so bad. Right. And then, uh, no, but I was a participant too when Mike would drive or Brian eventually. You in my early 30s when you finally got your license. <laughs> but then there was, uh, the stakes were even higher when, let's say, Brian... In his Toyota Camry. Right, his right. 89 Camry. Yeah. Um, I think our friend Mike also was driving a Camry late 80s model. Sounds right. Um, then, like, if you had bitch, you literally could or, almost not move. Or Greg and his Tiburon, if we all had to squeeze into that thing. I don't remember that happening. <laughs> I don't remember that. All happening. right, here's the final track on Sparkle and Fade. It's called My Sexual Life. I have a very specific memory of driving around New Jersey with this playing on my disc man in the front seat of the LeSabre, just alone, just like going for rides when gas was 89 cents a gallon, and just being like, I'm just going to drive for a while and listening to this song on repeat. Here we go. Bad things that you don't want to hear about. Tell you tomorrow what you did today. Just remember it's a small town. It's a real small town She gets tired of all the stupid boys She can't wait until they're done She wants a man who can take his time She wants someone who can make her come Yeah, can you make me Hardcore. You always say you want a simple life. You and me both know that you are a liar. You always say you want a simple life. Hearing the talk just makes me tired. Swim in the heavy water, buried in the sea. All right, Bob. It's a good record, Bob. 
It's a good record, Bob. I mean, I know I'm biased. I know I'm in a world of my own. But to me, this still holds up and still sounds good. I don't need you to validate it. I don't need you to respond no, I to do. that. I just I, want to I say Actually, it. I do think it does. I agree. Um, here's what Rolling Stone wrote about Everclear and their Rolling Stone album guide that they put out several years back. Everclear was initially touted as yet another Instamatic Nirvana ripoff when they first arrived, which is funny. It's the second time now we've seen that. Right. I never thought Nirvana when I heard right. Everclear. But, but in fact, they honorably represented grunge's tauter, punkier fringe. And in a sense, and in a sense some veteran, a uh, scene veteran, Art Alexakis, is the anti-Kurt Cobain. His gift is to make the bass, crass motives that alternative rock used to look down upon seem desperate, even heroic, a slob's way of exerting his tiny bit of control over a cruel world. Class consciousness per- permeates I Will Buy You a New Life about the transformative power of new money and rock star about a guy who wants to get laid and a girlfriend who does not drink beer. And it goes on and on. That's interesting. I yeah. don't think I've ever had a seriously uh, thought about Everclear on any level, but there are conversations being had in books in your local <laughs> Barnes and Noble. Yeah, I mean, for me, they were right up there in the late 90s next to Weezer where they were one of those bands when we finally had access to the internet in college where it's like, I want to know more about the, what they're doing, what are their B-sides, like what's the story, because there would be those Rolling Stone type articles few and far between, but I was so curious about Everclear and Weezer specifically that they were the ones that I remember sitting at my compact computer. What is the last time you saw Everclear live? Oh, God. 2000. Greg and I ended up like walking into the second half of a show at Irving Plaza one night in New York. And it was just depressing because it wasn't the full band. It second was, half? Yeah, because it was like we didn't, I don't think, planned on going that night. Where and was Greg? In Hoboken? I don't even remember the story. I just remember we were in there. We're like, should we leave? Like, it was just like, it didn't, Oof. it wasn't right because it wasn't the band. Oof. So I saw them in 97. Then maybe I saw them again in around 2000. And then whatever that was. And they're still plugging away in 2022 in some form. There you go. That's Sparkle and Fade, one of Bob's all-time favorite records. Is it in your top 10? Today. Don't try to be cool. Just I know. No, I'm, I'm, I'm owning it. I'm trying to think. Don't think about Lower East Side, Bob. Who wouldn't even let anybody know. You would hide your Everclear CDs because nobody could know. Oh, no, for sure. Now you're a grown man. You're beyond all that. You're being retrospect. You're looking back at a life well lived. Hopefully much more to come. But the music that meant the most to you. Everclear, Sparkle and Fade. Top 10, yay or nay. It's not an easy yay. So, you know, it's definitely not in like that top five right. world. But once we get towards like 9, 10, 11, 12, it's there. And I'd have to like make some tough Sparkle decisions. Sparkle and Fade or Blood on the Tracks? I think that's what the number 10 spot is down to. Well, I mean, it's obviously ahead of Sgt. Pepper's. <laughs> that's been established because there's more of more of it. Sure, so sure, sure. That alone gives it the advantage. You couldn't even do this in 13 or 12. 
That'd be stupid. No, you wouldn't even think to do it. No. All right. So, Bob, um, it's time to pick the song from Sparkle and Fade to add to the Throwback Podcast playlist. And I want you to start thinking about it because I'm going to throw it on you because we need to have that talk. But before that happens, I need to personally thank the people that allowed me to sit here and talk about how much I love this album for an hour and 15 minutes. You know, you guys... You Patronis out there that gave Bob this platform tonight. Thank you. You did something that really like was it put Bob in the pocket. Like Dan Dan knows me better than anybody. He's seen me <laughs> sitting across from him, like sitting forward the entire time. A cynical, just monster of a man. Right. Just but that's not the Bob that showed up for this. No, episode. I was playing, you know, drum fills and uh not just, only was he playing drum fills, he did the drum fill and then he had it. Another, I don't know if it was a secondary drum kit, but it, or it was no, just no, like kit. a little, a little drum that he yeah. had set up a snare on the side, and he had a bup, 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 boom to the right, hard yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. In his mind, he was in this other world. You know where you were, Bob? You were in the pocket. I was in the pocket. You want to be in the pocket? Yeah. So thank you to everyone on Patreon. You put Bob in the pocket tonight. Yeah. Patreon.com/slash/throwbackpod. You guys are the heroes, kicking in two dollars a month to keep this thing alive. Thank you to. It's been too long since I've been in the pocket. Courtney and Wyatt, our top tier Patreones who have been with us forever. Courtney I and Wyatt. I find my way back if I tried. By the way, Dan, Courtney's like a big time influencer now. I don't know if she is. Is she? Yeah. In what realm? Like uh, like fashion. Oh, really? Yeah. So go find. Uh, Does go she still listen? Doubtful. I feel like we're so forgotten. Courtney, reach out to us if you're still a listener. <laughs> Actually, don't because maybe she forgot that she's still giving us money. And yeah, if we remind no. her, she'll just like click the old. The old unsubscribe. out. Yep. <laughs> so thank you to Courtney That's and our Wyatt. Doing business. Of course, Bruno. Hope the people that are paying us forgot. Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> Bruno, the sponsor, who Dan is coming on five years of sponsoring this thing. Are we completely certain the Bruno is still with us. Bruno weighs in. I think Bruno weighed in on our most recent Patreon poll where we pitted five live albums against each other. I'm pretty sure Bruno commented on that. So. He did? So yes. he got Wi-Fi in the middle of the woods? <laughs> so Bruno, Bruno's still there. Thank you to Kleine and Mancy over in Australia. You know that they're going to hit us up with some big Merrill Bainbridge fun oh, facts before the day's over. By the way, this is the song that's just playing on repeat whenever I think about <laughs> Bruno. Somewhere deep into the wild. Such is the way of the world. Can never and he has somehow he has some type of generator set up that allows him to hoist this. He's sitting on top of an old abandoned bus. And he's getting just enough of a, a bar to get our podcast and then comment on uh, Patreon. <laughs> anyway. And of course. Thank you, Bruno. Our most recent Top tier Patreoni Miles. Miles. I never got his review from the uh, Regrets concert that he went to, Dan. Although, so you have regrets about never getting a review of the Regrets. Concert. I will tell you, I'm kind of out on the Regrets now. It's been a big. I mean, maybe I'll save her for the year end. Oh, uh, save! I mean, this is such a big story. I know it's a pretty big one. I don't want to <laughs> just like I don't want to like a real tease for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> kind of out. What happened to the Regrets? Did they go pop up? What yeah. Really? Are they on TikTok or something now? No, I don't know if they're on TikTok or whatever, but they kind of kind of evolved into like late period Gwen Stefani. Oh, like pretty quickly. Okay. Yeah, that's tough. It's kind of tough, but um, tough sitch. That's not Miles's fault. Miles. It's not Miles's fault. But thank you to everyone on Patreon.com/slash/TheRowbackPod. 
So Dan, as we made it very clear, I can't pick a song here. I'd pick all of it. I'd put every song on the Throwback Podcast playlist. I uh, put a heart next to Summerland. That's I, awesome. I like a lot of the songs in this album. Santa Monica is the best song. Uh, but like we've said many times on the show, we try not to be too on the nose Yeah. Uh, with our Throwback Podcast playlist. So let's go a little deeper cut. Here's Summerland. Um, so this is the addition to the Throwback Podcast playlist. That, uh, you can get that on Spotify. Now, I have moved away from Apple Music, so I'm not populating the playlist. If someone's out there that's on Apple Music that wants to make their version of the Throwback Podcast playlist, the Apple playlist exclusive, yep. let us know, and we'll send out the link on uh, Twitter. Send that to Bob. So, not to bury the lead here, but is it safe to say that Spotify won the war? No, I'm not ready to, to say that. Okay. Because didn't you move away from Spotify? I, I the title I or dip, something? I dipped my toes in title. Like, that's, bad. that's bad. I dipped my toes in title. And then I... Rihanna's like, what you doing over here, man? <laughs> I had like a three-month thing with title. And, uh, a I've, fling? I've since canceled. Yeah. Yeah, but then during that time that you were fucking title, Spotify fell in love with me. Spotify was... I never, I never said goodbye to Spotify. I kept them both. I was trying to like have them both ways for a while. Right. But guess what? Spotify was like... Bob, I just don't feel the same anymore after what <laughs> happened. But Dan came here and gave oh, me shit. true, honest love. Fuck, so Spotify's yours now? Yeah, we actually moved in together. Oh, my God. Fuck. And you're just like stroking it, listening to My Sexual Life by Everclear oh, my God. in this the is, pocket. This is bigger than my regrets news. <laughs> this is just all crumbling. Everything. I am in a very, the most healthy, committed relationship in my life with Spotify. Oh, my God. And I'm married with two children. With Spotify? Well, no, I'm just saying... Like this relationship is is my healthiest relationship. Me with the streaming giant, Spotify. Wow. We're so happy together. And I've seen a side of Spotify come out that people tell me that love it. They're like, oh, we haven't seen Spotify this happy in so long. They were just in such an unhealthy place and now everything's right. Who's telling you that? Is Steven telling you that? (laughs) (laughs) In between bites of his eggplant parm hero, is he telling you that? There is a chance that Stephen is a heavyset gentleman, and I don't. I'm not into body shaming. <laughs> we don't know anything about him. We're I'm just saying, to, what if don't, he is? Don't look him up. No, we're allowed to do it if we don't know what he looks like. All right, <laughs> but I'm just saying, what if he is? We don't know, so we're safe. I don't. I, I'm not into body shame humor. <laughs> we're safe. <laughs> we're fine. Yeah, but you don't know. No, but that's why so we're you fine. You can't make the jokes about him. No, of course I can, until you pull up a picture of him, and then I'm fucked. So don't pull up a picture of him. All right. But then you're just going to make fat jokes about Stephen Thomas Erlewine. <laughs> and he, you know. He's got a fat name. It's a lot of lot of letters. You know what? This is this is beyond the pale, bud. <laughs> and you're better than that. And that's another reason why Spotify fat, left you. Fat with a pH. No, me and Spotify will talk about this in bed tonight. Oh, fuck you. Just make and her happy. I, just keep her happy. Then I give, I give Spotify a little kiss on the lips, and then we read our book. Separately, next to each other, and then fall asleep in each other's arms. Well, you're slumming it with title. We've never talked over the entire <laughs> song at the end. <laughs> Get All out right. quick. All right. Thank you to everybody for listening. And uh, yes, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs>